believe we are all familiar with the text, whether it be in the Deuteronomy version or in the Revelation version, that we are not to add to or to take away from what God has written. But if you would allow me for just a moment to read Revelation 21, where it says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. And this is where I'd like to just exercise a little bit of liberty, nor Parkinson's, nor multiple myeloma, nor any disease that ravages a human being. For God will make all these things pass away. We are here today as a people who are odd to the world. Because even though we are missing individuals that we care about, and this will be a thing that we continue to deal with and suffer with for generations to come, we rejoice. Because we rejoice in the hope that we have that is more than just cliche, but it is truly a reality where God will wipe away all tears. So we'll cry in this life, we'll weep in this time, but we will rejoice in the days to come because of the hope that the Lord provides for us. The fact is, is we are here this morning to worship our God. We are here to worship the Son of God, and to render unto him the praise that he so richly deserves. And that's what our brother Jim would want us to do. That's what our brother Bill wants us to do. And so we turn our attention to God's word this morning, which not only provides us with the wherewithal for help in time of need, but direction in the way that we should live. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter chapter 3, where we're going to read four verses here in just a moment as we think about how saints handle suffering. The suffering that comes not just from losing people that we care about, but suffering that happens because we are Christians. We know that there is a danger to being a Christian that there are challenges that come serving God, and there are, shall we say, occupational hazards. You know, if you work in certain occupations, there are certain dangers that are associated with that particular line of work. And those are things that you are sometimes compensated for, sometimes you're not compensated for those things. But we as Christians understand that our occupation, that our work in being uh, sons and daughters of God, as being children of God, requires us to engage in some of those challenges. So I want to look at 1 Peter chapter 3, and I want to read four verses beginning in verse 13. And I want us to think about suffering this morning and think about how God has equipped us with the ability to manage that. He says in chapter 3 and verse 13, Who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. 
But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. I love this text. In fact, I love First Peter for a moment that I'll share, or for a reason that I'll share in just a moment or so or two. But I want to look at the text this morning, and I want to make some observations about the text as we explore First Peter three together, and we think about this occupational hazard preparation. One of the reasons that I love Peter's first letter. Not that it's any better than his second letter, but they are remarkably different. As good Bible students, you know that 1 Peter chapter 1 through 5 is written differently than 2 Peter and the text that is found therein. But Peter's first letter is, to me, rich in outlined text. It is designed for preaching. And I remember years ago, I was going through a, a period of weeks where I wasn't feeling real good about my preaching. Uh, some would say, well, I, that happens quite often, doesn't it? Uh, but I was, wasn't feeling real good about it, and things just weren't clicking right. And I reached out to an older preacher friend of mine, and he says, here's what I would urge you to do. Spend the next three or four weeks just preaching for First Peter." Pick anything in 1 Peter you want and just preach from it. And he was right because it is outlined text that is great for study and is great for preaching. And Peter is now in the final half of his letter. He said in chapter 3, verse 8, he says, finally. And then he goes on for two and a half more chapters. Sometimes preachers do that, don't we? Finally. And then 20 minutes later, we're finally wrapping up. But Peter now is in the final part of his letter. And Peter, in 1 Peter, has talked about suffering an awful lot. In fact, he uses the term to suffer or suffering, by my count, 18 times in this relatively short letter. And the overall point that he's trying to get at, it seems to me, is that if we're going to suffer, we suffer for the cause of Jesus Christ for it is better if the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil there in chapter 3, verse 17. So I want us to use the text this morning to outline and just outline five very basic, fundamental, yet powerful ways to better handle suffering as outlined by the Apostle Peter. Because he does a nice job of just putting out there five things that are helpful for us when we think about suffering. Number one is to have eyes that are wide open. Christianity is always about seeing things clearly. There is no such thing as fine print when it comes to Jesus and the covenant relationship that we have with him. There's no uh, real disclaimer at the end of the ads that Jesus provides where he talks real fast or he hires someone to talk real fast and tell you all the things that are going to be included in being a Christian that you don't want to know, but you want to know. No, the fact is, is Jesus puts in bold capital letters in 25-point font, and he says, there are dangers to being a Christian. There are hazards for being a Christian. And Peter acknowledges that sufferings for Christians 
are not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. I want you to read verses 13 and then the beginning of 14 for just a moment. And he says, who is he who will do harm if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. I appreciate so much our brother Ben taking us to Matthew chapter 10 or the comparison text of Luke chapter 14 where he talks about, Jesus does, counting the cost. That is basic Christianity. In fact, I don't know that there's ever a time where I baptize someone, particularly someone who may be new to the faith, new to the church, new to Christianity, new to the Bible, and I don't share with them some aspect of Matthew chapter 10 or Luke chapter 14 and say, you understand that you are making a lifetime commitment here. This is not something that you're going to do and then you're going to change your mind a few weeks later. No, this is a serious commitment where you count the cost and you understand what you are becoming involved in. Our creator promises us that we are going to be blessed for suffering in his cause. And that reminds me of passages like Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. We're at the conclusion of those beautiful words that we call the Beatitudes. More fortunate are those who mourn. More fortunate are those who seek the kingdom of God, who uh, suffer for righteousness' sake. And he says there in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says in verse 12 of that same text, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad that you are able to suffer. So one of the things that we need to understand as Christians, as saints in service to God, is that there are serious uh, costs associated to being a Christian. And we are to have those eyes that are wide open. Secondly, we need to never be afraid, but always be bold. I'm reminded of the passage in 1 Timothy where he says that God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but rather one that desires and wants us to be bold in his service. In the text that it, we read here, he says, do not be afraid of their threats. Do not be troubled, in quoting from a previous text of what the Bible includes. If you're reading from the New American Standard Version this morning, the Bible says, do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. You know, some people are intimidating. Some people are intimidating because of their physical looks. Most of you, when you met me the first time, were intimidated by my look. <laughs> Maybe fear, but not intimidation. But there are some people that are big, and some people that are strong, and they are intimidating. We are not to be intimidated by anyone because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that the people who were receiving this particular letter were facing real intimidation. That in the first century, when Peter was writing, these pilgrims, these people of the dispersion, we're facing persecution, religious, political, and otherwise facing pressure from without and within. And Peter goes back all the way to Isaiah chapter 8 
and in verse 12, makes his point. Consider, if you would, Isaiah's 8, the, the context of Isaiah chapter 8. This is not a study of Isaiah chapter 8, but if we were to go back and really spend some significant time in the 8th chapter, we remember that God was speaking to Isaiah with what verse 11 records is a strong hand. In verse 13, our brother David did an excellent job of pointing out, let God be your fear a few months ago. And then in verse 14, allow God to protect you and to be your sanctuary. And indeed, that is the case for us today. We have to allow God to protect us and never be afraid. Now, someone says, but I am afraid sometimes of being a Christian. That, that's, oh, it's okay to have that sense of, wow, it's really tough sometimes to make the right decision and to stand up to those who are outside. Yes, that's true. But we are to be bold. We are to be brave. We are not to be afraid going forward in service to our God because of his protections for us. Do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. That brings us to a third thing that is provided for us by Peter as advice, as uh, rationale for why we should not be fearful. And that is to remember that Jesus Christ is number one. And if you remember him being number one, everything else will fall into place. You know, when I make a statement like that, my mind necessarily goes to Matthew chapter 6, where he says, seek the kingdom of God first and everything else that you could otherwise worry about or fret about or be anxious about, those things will fall into place. But I want to go back to the text here in verse 15 of 1 Peter chapter 3, where he says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. What does it mean to sanctify the Lord? And you know, if you're like me and, and you grew up in the 80s and 90s, we learned that to sanctify means to set apart, to make sacred in some way. And I think that's a, a appropriate teaching. But I wanted to go beyond that. So I thought, well, I wonder what some other translations would say. Those of you who may be studying from the NIV this morning have the word revere in the text. It's the same word from which we get reverend. And that's one of the reasons, based on Psalm 111, verse 9, and other passages, that we do not have titles of reverend for David or for myself. I was walking down the street a few days ago, and I saw that it was the Reverend Barbara Clark. And I thought, there's a couple things here that I need to address on this particular sign <laughs> on this street. But you know what? There's no reverend. There's no the most high reverend or the higher, higher reverend, as some would argue, for man's titles. We are just servants of God, ministers of the gospel, those who are here to revere and honor Christ, who is the one who really deserves the honor. How do we go about doing that? Well, look at verse 15. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. More on that in just a, a minute or two. But let me share with you three ways that we can go about revering or honoring Christ. If, if we're told to sanctify the Lord, 
We better know how to sanctify him. Well, first of all, we keep his commandments. That's basic Christianity 101 as well, is it not? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And it's interesting in John 14, 15 that Jesus basically comes back a paragraph later in his discussion and addresses the same thing almost in reverse terminology in chapter 15, verse 14. One of those tools to memorize passages is that John 14, 15 is very similar to John 15, 14. Just flip the numbers around and you get the same concept that is there in the text. So I've got to keep his commandments. What else do I need to do to revere or honor Christ? Well, secondly, I have to love the brethren. Our brother Bruce did an excellent job about six months ago of taking us through 1 John. And in 1 John chapter 3, in verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Do you love me? I know you do. Do I love you? I hope you know that I do. We love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then thirdly, we share the message. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 through 33, where we were uh, during the Lord's Supper this morning, it says, Whoever confesses me before men, him I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. And then he goes on to say in verse 33, But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Christ is number one. We put him as our priority, and we do so by keeping his commandments, loving the brethren, and sharing the message with others. Well, there's a fourth thing that Peter outlines for us here in 1 Peter chapter 3 in the text, and that is we need to be ready or to be prepared with Scripture. The Bible is the, the complete guide to the way that we live, the way that we conduct ourselves, and it is the most powerful tool for defeating Satan and those who would serve him and remaining confident in spite of difficult days. Go back to the text in 1 Peter in chapter 3, and he says in verse 15, be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. The Bible is a powerful tool. It is described in Ephesians chapter 6 or Hebrews chapter 4 as a sword. Look carefully, if you would, at chapter 15, where he says, Be ready to give a defense for the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Let me share with you four very quick observations. You could probably make a sermon just out of these four observations, but let's spend just three minutes looking at this. Number one, always be ready, which requires boldness. You're not going to be ready if you are not bold. Remember the second thing that we pointed out in, in the text today was to be bold because we are not to be afraid of the threats. We are not to be intimidated, nor are we to be troubled. And so we need to always be ready, which requires boldness. Secondly, we need to give a defense. If we're going to give a defense for the reason that we conduct ourselves the way that we conduct ourselves, we're going to have to have knowledge. We're going to have to study, study, study. And that is easy to say, but sometimes hard to apply. 
hard to apply in the sense that it requires time. It requires our diligence. It requires us reading difficult passages and using our brain to figure out what is God telling me. There's nothing wrong with using our brothers and sisters. In fact, isn't that one of the reasons why we have Bible classes? Isn't that one of the reasons why we come together on Wednesday evenings to spend 40 minutes or so engaged in the study of God's Word? I mean, I'll be the, the first to confess that I'm no expert on the book of Jeremiah. But I'll also be the first to confess that I am so thankful to Matt and to Brian for the work that they are doing in Jeremiah because it's making things make more sense to me. And they spin that with history and then they add in the culture. And I'm thinking, wow, I really appreciate the effort that they are putting forth because this helps me to be able to explain it to someone else more accurately in the future. And I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful for the work that David does in teaching us and sharing with us messages that help us to understand the Bible better. Thirdly, he says, everyone who asks, which requires perception on our part, because we never know who is watching, do we? We never know who's looking at us, who's examining us. And as the song says, we are the only Bible the careless world will read. We are sometimes what the world will judge Christ by, which brings us to a fourth and final thing, and that is Peter says, do so with meekness and do so with fear, which requires grace. So much could be said just about that one particular statement, but I love Colossians 4, verse 6, where it talks about the way that we season our speech and the way that we go about sharing the message with others. There is an effective way of teaching the gospel to someone, and there is an ineffective way. I heard the story just a couple weeks ago of a man who chased a woman down in the parking lot outside of a church building. Not in this state, in a different state. And he asked, have you been baptized? And there's nothing wrong with that question. And the person said, no, I'm not. The man said, you're going to hell then. Book of Second Opinions says that probably not the most effective way of teaching that particular person. There was no seasoning in that speech, was there? There was, I'm not sure there was much love in that. And there's certainly something true to be said for if you're not baptized, you cannot go to heaven. We understand that. Hebrews, or Matthew chapter uh, 28 talks about the importance of baptism for the importance or for the essentialness of salvation. But we need to be meek, be fearful, and be those who season our speech with grace. And that brings me to a fifth and a final thing. Well, let me rephrase that. That brings Peter to a fifth and a final thing. And that is be consistent with your example. One of the worst things that we can do is to lose our reputation by momentary lapses in judgment. This reminds me of a recent study in 2 Chronicles 26 with a character of the name of Uzziah. You remember Uzziah was one of those good kings who came in at a relatively young age and cleaned up the scene. And then he got prideful, and what did he do? He went into the temple to burn incense 
And dozens and dozens of priests followed him in there and said, you have no part in this. And rather than saying, I'm so sorry, my bad, my mistake, he got prideful. And the Bible says he got angry. And remember what happened to him? He called leprosy, did he not? Leprosy until the day that he died. And then on his tombstone, in effect, what is written in the last few verses of 2 Chronicles 26 is that this man will forever be known as the man who caught leprosy because of his disobedience to God. That's not exactly what it says, but that's the point that the chronicler was making about Isaiah. Because of a poor decision, his reputation was lost. Consider, if you would, verse 16, where it says, Having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Having a good conscience. This word is used some 30 times in the New Testament. And we are smart enough and good enough Bible students that when you take the word conscience and you divide it in half, you get con. And those of us who took uh, first-year Spanish know that C-O-N means with, right? So when you get something con carne, see, I, I always put things with food, with meat, con carne, con and then science. What does science mean? It's the idea of knowledge. It's the idea of knowing something. So it literally is a knowing with or what we know. Isn't it interesting that God did not make us guess what was right and what was wrong? But rather he has given us the ability to know right from wrong. It reminds me of a passage that our brother David referenced in one of his sermons about a month or two ago in Ephesians chapter 3 where he was talking about the mystery of Christ and the mystery of Revelation. And in Ephesians chapter 3 it says, when you read, you will know. This is not a guessing game. We do not flip a coin as to whether or not we serve God or not or what it takes to serve God effectively. He has given us the ability to know right from wrong. Having that good conscience. Some would say, well, you know what? This whole sermon has frightened me a little bit. And there's nothing wrong with being a little bit frightened. Because after all, becoming a Christian requires us having those eyes wide open to know that there are some occupational hazards to being a child of God. Because the fact is, is the failure to do any of these five things will most certainly Stand in the way of our effective working for the Lord. You can't take out any of these five things. It's not cafeteria style where you choose three out of five and leave the other two because you don't prefer them. No, you must choose five out of five. The ability to do all of these things is guaranteed with Jesus Christ. Not something that we have to just whimsically hope for, but rather that we are guaranteed. But... It does require us to be dedicated to his will, and it requires us to be dedicated to our work. The fact is, is being a Christian comes with occupational hazards, and those are things that we readily accept as saints, and we are hoping that you will too.
our brother Danny prayed this morning. And one of the things that he prayed about so effectively, and I appreciate so much, was that if there is one here this morning that is not a Christian, never having been baptized, that that person will make the commitment today to say, you know what, I'm ready to become a child of God. That would be the best news, not only of the day, that would make our week, that would, that would make our year. <laughs> but don't worry about doing it to make us happy, do it to make the Lord happy. And do it because God deserves your praise and your obedience. And we encourage you to become a Christian. Repent of your sins. Change the way that you live. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Christ. And then be baptized to have those sins washed away. If we can help you in that, we would love the opportunity to do so. If as a child of God, you've allowed the hazards of the occupation of being a child of God to get in your way. And I hope you understand when I talk about it being an occupation, it's, it, this is more important than, than being a plumber or, or, or being a teacher. But this is a work that we are to do. And we are to occupy ourselves with this work. And if you are not faithful in that work, we would invite you to make the change, publicly or privately, whatever is needed. If we can help you in any way, let us know while together we stand and sing.